So thankful for our children leading us in worship. And I was thinking about all those precious young people. I'm so excited that we have them here at First Baptist. And thank you for all those leaders who work with them and help prepare them week in and week out. And that is a labor of love, but it's a gospel ministry. I'm thankful for them. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm so delighted that you chose to be with us. We are looking forward to this day and have been for some time. And so it's going to be a very special day. Already has been. And so I'm thankful for it. If you're visiting, I would love the opportunity to speak with you after the service, maybe up here at the front. We'll be standing around. I'd love the chance to just speak with you after the service. You know, we've been in a series entitled In His Image. As an, uh, and, and this morning we're talking about an unavoidable destiny. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. So if you want to find your place there, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 for just a few moments. You know, when we started this series, I asked you four questions or I said, you know, there are four questions that everybody will ask at some point in their lives. You're going to ask these four questions. I will ask these four questions at some point in our lives. Now, do you remember what those four questions were? See, I knew you wouldn't, but, but I'm going to remind you, I'm going to refresh your memory. Number one, we said that we asked the question, where did I come from? That's talking about our origin. And then the second question we will ask is, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What is my meaning in life? Number three, how should I live? That's a question of morality. How shall we live while we're in this world? By what standard? Do we live by? And then number four, where am I going? And that is the question of destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. We all ask those four questions at some time in our lives. And we've been answering these four questions during this series as we've been looking at Genesis chapter 1. Two, and also this morning, we're going to be answering the, the last question. We've, we've answered the question, where you came from? And if you, didn't, if you missed those, just go back and listen to the series. Why are you here? What is your purpose? And uh, how shall you live? And this morning, we're answering the question, where are you going? Everyone here and everyone listening, everyone on the face of the earth has an unavoidable destiny. Uh, I read the definition of destiny, and this is what it said. It said an event that will inevitably happen in the future. That is an unavoidable destiny. Now, you have an unavoidable desti destiny and I have an unavoidable destiny. But not only do you have an unavoidable destiny, you have an eternal destiny. You have an eternal destiny and I have, I have an eternal, eternal destiny. And you can't avoid it. You can't escape it. You can't negotiate, negotiate your way out of it. You can't lie your way out of it. You can't buy your way out of it. Uh, you have an unavoidable destiny. You know, I read about a man who was leaving the snow-covered streets of Chicago, Illinois. He wanted to go on vacation in the warm, sunshine state of Florida. He was looking forward to being in some warmer weather. And his wife was on, va on a business trip, and she was to meet him in Florida the very next day. And this man, he, when he reached his hotel room... He wanted to send his wife an, an email to let her know he arrived safely. And, and um, so he, he looked for her email. He couldn't find this piece of paper where her, where her email address was written. He said, well, you know, I think I can remember it. So he just typed in that email address and he did everything right, but he left out one letter in the email address. And, and so instead of that email going to his wife, it went to a, a, an elderly pastor's wife who had, who just recently died. And so this grieving widow received this email message from this man. And when she opened it up, she read it and she let out a scream and she fainted on the floor. And her family was concerned about what happened. And they went and read the email. And this is what it said. Dearest wife, I just got checked in. 
Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Signed, your eternally loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> you know, we all have an unavoidable destination. You have one and I have one. Now, a wise person will want to know their destiny. A wise person will want to know their destination. And so we're going to find out what the unavoidable destination is here in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And I hope you have your Bibles open. And just be ready because we're going to be going back and forth between chapters 2 and 3. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve had a choice of destinations. They had a choice in their destiny. And their default destination was perfection. Their default destination was perfect fellowship with Almighty God. That's their default destination. I mean, they walked with God. They believed in God. They had a privilege that none of us really ever have had, and they had a perfect relationship with God the Father in a perfect environment. And they had a choice of destinations, and so God put two trees before them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. God gave Adam and Eve a choice of destiny. They could choose life or they could choose death, but either way, there was a destination in mind. There was a destiny, and they had to choose and before Adam and Eve was life and death. But I want you to see what happened when it came time for this choice to be made. See, our default destination has changed. See, their default de uh, destination was perfection. Perfect relationship with God the Father. Perfect relationship with one another. But that destination has changed. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 for a moment. In verse 1. Just flip over to Genesis 3.1 and let's read there what happened and how our default destination has changed. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But... Of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want you to see how sly the devil is. He began to impugn the character of God. Did you notice that? He began to accuse and blame God. He planted seeds of distrust in Eve's mind. He began to lead her to question the holiness of God. He began to plant seeds of doubt about the goodness of God. And so this old serpent made Eve think that God was holding out on them. Has anyone ever attacked your character or impugned your character falsely? You ever had that happen? You know, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says that the devil accuses the saints before the throne of God day and night. See, the devil is the accuser and he's always impugning the character of God's people. But before Satan ever accused you, he accused God right here in Genesis chapter three. 
He was accusing God of being unjust, untrustworthy, unethical. And there was Eve just soaking it all in, believing every word of it. Now listen, Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with God. God gave them a perfect environment. There they were with all the food that they could ever uh, desire. In a perfect environment. And they chose to believe Satan rather than God. It's a choice. And so that led to the very first sin. Now listen, they did not commit murder. You know, lots of times when you talk to people, you ask them, have you ever sinned? Well, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery or, you know, I've not committed other sins that, you know, I didn't lie. They didn't lie. They disobeyed God. That's all it took. One sin led to the judgment of God. Now I want you to notice what happened to Adam and Eve. The devil said that whenever you eat of this tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And I want you to notice that that's what happened. They became like God in a sense, knowing good and evil. You see, God knows good and evil, but God knows it externally. God has never committed a sin. It's external to him. It's outside. He doesn't know evil experientially, personally. He knows it. So God knows evil externally. But Adam and Eve know evil internally. Do you see the difference? Because they committed sin. They know evil internally. They know it personally. You know, I heard a story that really illustrates how we know good and evil. Imagine just for a moment that you were on a 747 and you're flying at 40,000 feet. And let's say that you decide, for whatever reason, you're going to jump out of that airplane with no parachute. And the pilot says to his co-pilot, well, you see, they're like us. They become like us. They know altitude and they know gravity. But the problem is, they know altitude, but they cannot maintain it. They know gravity, but they cannot avoid it. And that's how we know good and evil. We know good, but we cannot maintain it. We know evil, but we cannot avoid it. We know good and evil, but we cannot avoid evil and we cannot maintain goodness because we're sinners. We're all sinners. Would you agree this morning that we're all sinners? We've all sinned. We can't help but sin. Now, listen, because we're sinners, it doesn't mean that you're just as sinful as you can be. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're as sinful and wicked as you can be. It means that we have all sinned. Some people may sin more than you. Some people may sin less than you. But by definition, we are all sinners and have the same condemnation. And for Adam and Eve, it only took one sin to condemn them. It only took one sin to bring on God's judgment. Just one simple sin. And we are all sinners. We are sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. Did you know that David said in Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And what he's saying is, we are born sinners. We are born with a sin nature. But then I think about what the Apostle Paul said about himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Does this remind you of yourself? For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate to do... But if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But it now is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. And I seem to always do the wrong thing. And the things that I, I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And I see that sin dwells in me. Can you relate? We're sinners. And there, there are different kinds of sin. 
You know, there's sins of omission. That, a sin of omission means that you didn't do something that God expected you to do. Then there's a sin of commission, which means that you should have uh, not done something, but you did do it. Let me give you the Bible's description. You know, the Bible describes sin in different categories. So let me explain them. One, the Bible says that when we sin, we miss, we miss the mark. We miss the target. God has given us a target that we're supposed to hit and we fall short or we miss the mark. The, the Bible's imagery is of an archer shooting at a target. And when he pulls back his bow, he shoots his arrow. It doesn't quite make it to the target. It always falls short. We can never reach the target. That's called missing the mark or falling short. We've all done that. And then there's a line. There's a, uh, the next kind of type of sin is a transgression. That means that God has drawn a line in the sand and he said, don't cross the line. And when you cross it, that's a transgression. That would be like fishing where it says, no trespassing. That's a transgression. And we've all transgressed and we've all missed the mark. We're all sinners. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the default destination changed for all of us. The default destination for Adam and Eve was an eternity in God's presence. But when they sinned, the default destination changed. Now let's look at Genesis 3.19 for a moment. This is God giving out the curses for the sin. I'm just going to read one verse. He's talking to Adam. He says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Well, what does it mean to return to the ground? What does that mean? It means death. It means death. Now there's a, a physical death and then there's a spiritual death. But death is now the default destination. You know, Adam and Eve didn't know anything about death until they sinned. But now they get a full picture of what death really means. Physically and spiritually. Now we all know physical death, don't we? We know it biblically and we know it experientially because we've all experienced the death of a loved one, someone that we love. We've experienced that pain of separation between someone we love when, they, when they're no longer here. And let me just say this. When you experience that pain of separation that takes place at death, that's a reminder of the consequences of sin because sin brought death. And now every time we have a loved one and we say goodbye to a loved one, we feel that reminder of the pain of sin. It's that reminder. You know, death is a reality for all of us. And a wise person will consider their own death because we're all going to face it one day. In Psalm 39, 4, David said this, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? And aren't we frail? He says, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths. Do you know what a handbreadth is? It's the width of your hand. It's not very long, is it? He said, that's how long your life is. And my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. And you see that little word selah? That word selah means, think about that. Your life is but a vapor. And then he goes on to say, surely every man walks about like a shadow. You ever, you ever seen how brief a shadow is? It's brief. It's just for a moment. And David said that your life 
and my life is but a vapor. It's just a, a shadow. And life is brief compared to eternity. It's brief. Now, if you were going on an overnight trip, and some of you travel, you would, you would, you would start prepar you know, making preparations to go, wouldn't you? First of all, you'd want to know where you're going. And so you'd want to make sure that you had it keyed into your GPS and you'd know exactly which route you're going to take. You'd make some preparations. You know, you'd probably get you a, a you know, when I used to go to seminary every week, I kept a bag packed all the time. I mean, it just stayed packed. All I had to do was throw some clothes in it and I was ready to go. But you pack some clothes. You make sure you got your toothbrush and your toothpaste and all those things that you need. You'd make sure that your vehicle was fueled up so it'd be, it would be ready to go. You make preparations. If you're going on an eternal trip, don't you think you'd take some time to prepare for your eternal destiny? We need to make sure that we're taking time to prepare. Now, there's a physical death and there's a spiritual death. Now, you might ask the question, well, what is a spiritual death? I mean, I know, I know physical death, but what is a spiritual death? Well, God gives the answer right here in Revelation. And John the Revelator, God gave him a vision. And this is what the Apostle John saw in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. He said, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. It didn't matter how much money you had or how little you had, how smart you were, or how uh, unintelligent you were, or how few degrees you had, or how many degrees you had, small and great, standing before the throne of God. Now, I need to clarify something. What we're reading here is for people who have rejected Christ. It's known as the great white throne judgment. This is leading up to the spiritual death. He says, and I saw the books that were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And what he's saying is this. If you deny Christ, if you reject Christ, you will be judged based on your works. And we all already have admitted that we are sinners. And we're going to be judged by our sin. And then he says in the subsequent verses, in verse 13, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You see, it's appointed unto man once to die. We're all going to die once, but some people will die twice. It's a spiritual death. And then in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says this, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, shall all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's a spiritual death. That's the second death. Now your physical death is unavoidable, but you have a choice over your spiritual destiny. You can choose. Your default definition, by the way, is not heaven. So we think that we bo we're born into this world with a default def destination of heaven. But no, based on the fall in Genesis chapter 3, our default destination is not heaven. It's in another place. And the Bible emphatically refers to it as hell. Alex McFarland, some of you know him. He's been here, he's preached here last March, actually. I don't, you may not have known this, but he was here Friday. He did his radio broadcast from our office on Friday. And I hope that you listen to AFR 
Uh, Alex McFarland and uh, Brett Harper are on there uh, at four o'clock every uh, every afternoon. But he did his radio broadcast here, and afterward we kind of had a chance to just talk for a little while. And he shared this story. He had no idea what the message was for today. But he said, you know, he was visiting Food Lion one day and he was looking for a card for, for a friend. And he was looking at cards at Food Lion. He found a card. It had a nice front cover on it, a beautiful bouquet of flowers, and uh, just had a very attractive uh, front cover. But when he opened the cover, it said this, I will save a seat for you beside me in hell. And that was for a friend. For a friend. You know, hell will not be a place of comfort. Where you party with your friends. A lot of people think that. But Jesus described hell as a place of torment. And that's how Jesus described it. And when Jesus talked about hell, let me just say this. He didn't do it with enthusiasm. I think he did it with a broken heart. Because Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's not his heartbeat. The second Peter 3, 9 says that the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. In fact, it was his love for you and me that compelled him to go to the cross that we just sang about. That beautiful, terrible cross. It was the love of Christ that compelled him to die for you and me. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you and me while we were yet sinners. He loves us. And hell will not be a place of pleasure, but it'll be a place of torment. The Bible describes it as a place of utter darkness, total separation from God. How many of you have ever been to the mountains uh, and gone to a cavern? You ever done that? I know we used to visit the Smoky Mountains and sometimes we would go to those caverns and, you know, you, they walk you deep into the earth and you go to this cavern, you get to see all the beauty underneath the earth that you'd never see otherwise. But, you know, when we went, it was not intimidating and it was not frightening because we had plenty of light. We could see exactly where we were going. But when we got down in there, just for a few moments, they turned the lights off and it was dark. It was utter darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face and you couldn't see the person standing next to you. It was dark. Can you imagine having to navigate your way out of that cavern with no light and total darkness? It'd be impossible. And let me just say this. If you spend eternity in that kind of situation, it would not matter who was next to you. It would not be a comfort. And they could not help you. The utter darkness is separation from God. And we were only in, in, in the dark for just a few moments. But I can only imagine how terrifying it might be if I spent eternity there. Now you might ask this morning, well, how is it fair that someone will spend an eternity in a place like that for a sin that they committed on this earth? You know, when we ask that question, we ask it because we don't realize the gravity of who we sinned against. You see, the Bible says that God is a holy God. The Bible says that God is an eternal God. And when you sin... Your sin is against a holy God and an eternal God. And because you sin against an eternal God, the eternal God, your sin has eternal consequences. And sometimes we forget the gravity of our sin and who it is that we have sinned against. But I need to encourage you this morning. God does not take pleasure in people being condemned. You know, some people think that's how God is. It's not true. In the New Testament and in the Old Testament, God affirms his love for us. In Ezekiel chapter 33, 11, Ezekiel 33, 11, God said this. As I live, says the Lord, 
I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Do you see the heart of God? Can you see the heart of God? You know that hell wasn't even meant for people. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus said that the, the hell was designed for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for us. But when you rebel against God, that is your destination. Now you might ask this morning, how can we change our destination? How do we change our destiny? And I'm glad you asked that question. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 for a moment. 2.25. Now this verse is talking about Adam and Eve. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. That's an interesting verse. Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and they were naked. They had no shame, no sin, no lust. You know, when they, they, they didn't consider their body parts objects of lust. They viewed their body parts just like we view our hands. We worship God with our hands and praise Him with our hands. And so there was no sin. There was no uh, uh, degradation when, it looked, when they looked at one another. They were innocent. They were pure. But something changed. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. I want you to see what happened to them whenever they ate that forbidden fruit. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now they knew that they were naked. The moment that they ate the forbidden fruit, something changed in them. And they needed a covering. And there was no Macy's in the garden. And so they had no clothes, and so they had to make themselves some fig leaves. So they made some his and hers camouflage outfits. See, Adam looked at his wife at Eve, and she, he said, probably, honey, you're looking nice in your camo green outfit. And maybe Eve looked at Adam and said, Adam, you're looking handsome in your Armani fig, fig leaf suit. But the key thing is this. They tried to make themselves coverings. Now listen, isn't that just like us? We try to cover our sin, don't we? We do. And they tried to cover their sin. You know, sometimes we try to cover our sin by refuting it. And we blame others. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They began to shift blame from themselves to somebody else. Eve began to blame the serpent. And Adam began to blame Eve. And so they refuted their sin. They tried to cover it by blaming. And sometimes we try to cover our sin by pointing the finger at someone else. Uh, one poem that I read kind of really summarized that mindset. It goes like this. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find. And here, here's what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk. So it naturally follows that I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that's why I have a tendency to betray. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, so it follows naturally that I poison all my lovers. But I'm happy now I've learned the lesson that this has taught, that everything I do wrong is someone else's fault. Isn't that how it is? We try to refute. We try to blame. 
You know, sometimes we try to cover our sin by righteousness. We try to live like the good life, do good things. And so we, so we think if we can be just good enough that our good will outweigh our bad, then we will be okay. And that's the mindset that we have. We try to uh, cover ourselves with our own righteousness, our own good works. One man said, you know, I know you can't buy your way into heaven. But after he made a very large contribution to a nonprofit organization, he said, but I think I made a pretty good down payment. But it's not true. When you try to cover your sin by good works, can you say the word fig leaf? Because that's what it looks like, a fig leaf. To God, it looks like a fig leaf. You see, a fig leaf can never remove the stain that sin has left on you. A fig leaf can never remain, I mean, uh, remove the, the, uh, a sin-stained heart. It can never cleanse it. It's just a fig leaf. Some people try to cover their sin by being religious. You know, there's some people who live like the devil all week long, and then they have to come to church to do their religious duty. They stand, they sing, they do all the things that a person would do, but they live like the devil all week long. And so they try to cover their sin by religious activity. Can you say fig leaf? Because that's what it is, a fig leaf. Now the question is, when did Adam realize that his fig leaves weren't doing the job? The moment that God came to, in the garden looking for him. That's when he did it. In Genesis 3, 9, it says that the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? And so Adam heard God. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was a naked, because I was naked and I hid myself. You know, when I read that verse, I ask myself this. Have you ever wanted to run to God and from God at the same time? See, I think that Adam was in that position. I think he really wanted to run to God and have that fellowship that he once had with him. But at the same time, he wanted to run from God because he was guilty. You ever felt that way? You want to run to God and from God at the same time? Let me ask you this. Are you running from God? You know, God's the one who was doing the looking. And God was looking for Adam. And Adam was running. And God was looking for Adam. Where are you? Where are you? Now, y'all need to know something. God knew where Adam was. God knew right where Adam was. It's foolish to think that we can hide our sin from God. It's foolish to think we can hide ourselves from God. In Jeremiah 23, 24, God says this. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him? Says the Lord. No. We cannot hide. God knew where Adam was. His fig leaf Armani suit was doing no good for him. God knew exactly where he was hiding in the bushes. He was not hidden. But God wanted him to know. He wanted Adam to know where he was, separated from God. You know, God wanted Adam to come clean with his sin. You know, I don't think that God was walking through the garden that day to condemn Adam. I think he was walking through the garden that day to cover Adam. But he wanted Adam to come clean. I think we all ought to be like David in Psalm 32, 5. David said this. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what happens? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Think about it. Come clean. And then in Psalm 32, 1, in that same uh, book of Psalms, that same chapter, David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God has a covering for sin, don't you? God has a covering. Now I'm going to show you where that covering is. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 for just a moment. It says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Did you all see that covering? So they were covering themselves with fig leaves. But God made a covering for them and it was out of animal skin. Now God didn't go into the garden and he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, shear a sheep and then cover him with lamb's wool. What he did is he covered him with animal skin. Do you know why that's important? Do you know what has to happen to that animal to cover Adam and Eve with its skin? It has to die. Blood has to be shed. And so that's why that was so important. God killed the very first animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin. God made the very first sacrifice to cover sin. And an innocent animal had to die to be a covering for sin. And we find it there in the very opening chapters of Scripture. This is the very first time we see death in the Bible. God killed an animal to cover sin. Can you imagine how Adam must have felt? I mean, these animals were like his pets. You do remember just in a chapter earlier, Adam was naming every single one of those pets or those animals. You know, when you start naming animals, they become like your pets, don't they? And we don't want to see them die because they're our pets. I know people spend a lot of money on trying to save their pets. I did. My uh, boy can spaniel ate something not too long ago and it got his old guts all twisted up and had to have surgery on him. And I paid for it. Why? Because I didn't want to see him die, right? Well, Adam saw this innocent animal die because of his sin. The very first sacrifice. You know, on the day of Passover in Jerusalem, the priest would slaughter sheep all day long for atonement. Every single family had to come and bring a sheep. And that priest would slaughter that animal as an atonement for sin. And they would do thousands and thousands till the blood began to run through the streets and down into the Kidron Valley. And you know that Jesus would have to walk across that Kidron Valley, go into the Garden of Gethsemane and back. That was a graphic reminder of the horror of sin that we take so lightly. And so God wanted to give us a picture of the devastation of sin. Now, God killed the very first animal to cover sin, but it was really a foreshadowing of how Jesus was going to be the final sacrifice for sin and the last sacrifice. Look at Genesis 3.15 for a moment. Genesis 3.15. This is the gospel in one verse. And I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now I don't have time really today to really unpack all this in that verse but let me just make it clear. This verse is the very first time that we see a prophecy of Jesus coming to this earth to atone for sin. And the gospel message is right here. The message is that Jesus was going to come to earth and atone for the sins of men. Now, let me just clarify it just for a moment. You see where it says that the seed of the woman will bruise Satan's head? Well, every time that the, the word seed is used, it's always referring to a man's seed, the seed of man, the descendants of man. But here it says the woman's seed. Well, that's a strange twist. Because the Bible never really refers to seed as a woman's seed. It's always as a man's seed. Because we're descended from Adam. 
But here it talks about the woman's seed. Here it is prophesying the virgin birth. You see, Jesus came as a virgin. He didn't have an Adam nature. He, didn't have nat- he, didn't ad- he did not have a sin nature. He was born of a virgin. He became one of us, but he was never tainted with sin. If, if Jesus had not been born of a virgin, he would not have been able to be sinless. If Jesus had not been sinless, he could not have been our Savior. If Jesus had not been our Savior, we would have no covering for sin. So it was imperative that Jesus came as a born of a virgin. And in Genesis 3.15, it says that Satan will bruise the heel of Jesus, but Jesus will crush the head of Satan. And this week is Passover week. It's the week that we, we reflect on the crucifixion. Now, God killed an animal in the garden, first sacrifice. And Jesus died on the cross, the last sacrifice. I want you to remember for a moment, John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River. And Jesus is coming to John the Baptist. And John, uh, Jesus sees, I mean, John sees Jesus coming down. Do you remember what, what John said about Jesus? He said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was going to be the last sacrifice. And whenever Jesus died on that bloody cross for our sin, he took the venom of sin for you and me. His heel was bruised on Calvary's cross. You know, we refer to it as Golgotha. It means the place of the skull. That's the Hebrew word. The, the, the Roman word, the Latin word for that is Calvary. And at Calvary, Jesus bore our sin. Now, I want to show you something real quick as we kind of get ready to wrap up. Earlier, we read that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they realized the shame of their nakedness. Remember that? They realized the shame of their nakedness and they tried to cover their shame with their sin with fig leaves. But when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that he was stripped of his clothing and that the Romans would start casting lots for his clothes. You remember that scene? So here's Jesus dying naked and shameful on the cross for mine and your sin. Why is that? Because Jesus took the shame of our nakedness so that he could clothe us with his righteousness. There was an exchange that took place on the cross. What happened in the garden was righted at the cross. We're covered by the blood of Christ. He exchanged places. I love Colossians 2, chapter 13 through 14. It's a beautiful verse. It says this. You ought, to, you ought to memorize this. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Listen to this verse. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that was against us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now I want to use a theological term real quick. It's the word imputed. Now don't let that word frighten you or make you lose track. But that word imputed is important. You know, imputed means to, to charge someone else or charge someone with someone else's fault. Let me give an example. Whenever you buy car insurance and you're covered, if you get in an accident, who pays for that damage? If you, even if it's your fault, who pays for it? The insurance company. It's called imputed liability. Your fault is laid on the insurance company and they pay for it. Well, whenever Jesus died on the cross, he took my fault and your fault on Calvary's cross. All of our sin was imputed to Christ. He became responsible for my sin. But then he took all of his holiness and all of his righteousness and he imputed it to us. 
And so we are clothed today in the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, Jesus didn't sin, but he paid for our sin. He covered us in our sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the question I have for you this morning is this, as we wrap up. Are you covered by the blood of Christ? Are you clothed in Christ? You have a destination. And there's a poem that kind of summarizes this message. Well, it's really a children's story. You might remember it. It kind of went like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Y'all know that story? That really describes Adam, doesn't it? See, Adam fell off of the wall of perfection. He fell off of perfection and sin broke him. And nobody could put him back together again. That's a sad story. Somebody else rewrote that poem and it went like this. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. He slew Queen Death and crushed King Sin. And through grace, he put us back together again. Don't you like that version better? He put us back together again. Let me ask you this. How are you trying to cover your sin? Are you running from God? God wants to put you back together again, but it can only be done through Christ. Are you running? Are you covered? Do you know where your destiny is? Those are some very important questions. And as we come to our invitation, I want to invite you in just a few moments. If you don't know Christ, I'd love the opportunity to share with you how to know Him. I'll be here at the front in just a moment when we have our invitation. I want to invite you to come. Or maybe this morning you're running from God. Maybe you already have a relationship with Him, but maybe you're trying to run from Him. And maybe you just need to come to God this morning and come clean. So you can be back in that fellowship with God again and not run from Him, but run to Him. Would you do that this morning? You know, sometimes in a service like this, when we have an invitation, people don't want to come because they think what well, somebody else is going to think about them. I'm more concerned of what God's going to think about me. And we need to respond to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that we have in it. I thank you for the fact that you've covered our sin. I thank you, Lord, that I can stand here today not clothed in my own, uh, my own righteousness, but in your righteousness. I want to thank you that you provided a covering for us when we couldn't cover ourselves. I want to thank you for the blood of Christ. I want to thank you for the cross of Christ, that beautiful, terrible cross. For in it we find hope and in it we find freedom and in it we find forgiveness. And Lord, there may be somebody here this morning who's running from you when they need to be running to you. Would you just put it on their heart to respond to you this morning? Lord, there may be somebody in here who's clothed in their own righteousness and it's just a fig leaf to you. There's somebody here this morning that may be uh, clothed in religion and it's just a fig leaf. And Lord, I just pray that you'll clothe them with the righteousness of Christ. Would you draw them to yourself this morning that they may know you as their Lord and Savior? Lord, we just come to you now and ask you to respond, help us to respond to you obediently. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?